Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. And anyone who's out there, you can find us on Spotify or anywhere else you grow yourself through podcasts or on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneur's. Uh, today with us again, we're back at Utopia Bagels recording. We have Michael Van Dome of Nino's AQ. How are you doing today? Astoria, New York is where that one's located, but you have multiple locations. How are you doing today? Yes, absolutely. Doing doing well. Um, happy that this uh, weather's warming up a little bit, but yeah, definitely have uh, that's the Astoria Queens location, and I have uh, a few other locations also in the family. Cool. So, Michael, let's get into your story. Like, you're a younger guy. Um, You're obviously entrepreneurial and successful, I can tell, by the way you carry yourself. I can tell that you have credit um, just being a New Yorker. So I just want to emphasize this because as entrepreneurs, we can often tell other people are successful just by the way they carry themselves and their confidence. And we know when they've been through hard knocks, especially to get to where they are. So... Let's tell your story. It's all yours. I'm going to give you the mic. You take as long as you want. I Longer, more detail would be better at this point because I just, you have such a complicated story, I, I believe, from what I've just briefly heard from Jesse. So let's get into that and then we'll continue. Sounds great. Yeah. Thank you for the compliments, uh, firstly. It is a it is a long story and it dates back to family, like always, and, and my parents and my family roots that... Uh, are deep in southern Italy so uh, yeah so uh, my family comes from a line of farmers in southern Italy and you know working off the farm extremely poor but made the means to survive so uh, my dad and my uncle my great uncle decided to migrate to America to pursue the American dream yeah Um, my father came over and a few of his cousins and uncles I'd say with no more than about $20 in their pockets and a suitcase full of some clothes, whatever he had, just just to get over. And um, they all lived together uh, in a small little apartment, uh, finding whatever jobs they could, whoever could get us employed. Um, You know, my dad started doing carpentry uh, because that's what he found work as and uh, slowly built up enough money. And then actually he had had a back issue and he had to start looking for a change of work and my uncle who's his cousin started um in the hospitality business started saying hey why don't we start looking in restaurants and developing you know we know food we come from a big italian family so you know they took whatever money they had and they launched uh they launched a venture together in new york city so we opened up uh one location in midtown in uh 1982 that's uh, what I call the baby of the family. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, Nino Strateria. And again, so, you know, my, my dad worked there. My mom worked there. My aunt worked there, who's 99 years old now. <laughs> God bless her. Um, so that was, that was the baby. And they, uh, they launched it with not much knowledge. Uh, English wasn't great. Yeah. Let's say second language at most. You know, uh, my mom loved her to death. Still has a little bit of an accent to this day. Yeah. Uh, and they launched and they kept that place going uh till about 2013 we had like a beautiful 30-year run and then uh in that location we had a devastating grease fire wow wow. yeah uh so one morning uh i get a frantic call um i'm about 23 right now i just finished college basically Uh, and i get a i get a call and you know it's uh it's one of our cooks saying hey 
the ambulances, the fire department is here. Um, the place is on fire. And I still remember this day, I, got, I said, George, how bad is it? And he said, Mikey, it's really bad. And he had like tears in his voice. Yeah. So we all ran down, me and my brother, my mom. It's just terrible. And basically the store was um, completely, completely done by the time uh, the fire got caught. And then once if you ever have a fire, whoever's experienced it, it's, it's a terrible experience to experience. But firefighters come in and just uh, fill the place up with water. So there's just, it's like half flooded, half burnt, half Yeah, whatever down. doesn't burn or smoke damage is now water damage for sure. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So we had, uh, we had just bought a used deep fryer in a place in Astoria that my dad knew the guy and he was looking for a deep fryer and he said hey try this deep fryer out long story short that was a malfunction on the thermostat and it caused a grease fire and it just lit up the whole place got into my exhaust system and then it lit up the whole place so at uh when I just graduated it was basically like we had a little family sit down we said hey what do we want to do now and uh do you guys want to do this do you not want to do this because my parents said Listen, it's not an easy industry. It's a yeah. hard industry. It's a lot of hours. It's a lot of sacrifice. You're, we went to school. You don't have to do this if you don't love it. Uh, so a part of me, I do love it, obviously. But a part of me felt that I had to take the legacy and continue that 30-year thir- run. And I'm right there with you right now. I, we did 24-year run, and I'm in a transition. I'm like, I need to keep going. There's the American dream that's been on my back. I am also from southern Italy, like half my family. Yep one side of it and instilled is that fight for the american dream and there's a constant reminder of what the hell we went through and how much shit we had to go through even family bs to just get to where i am so i think it's a huge driver and one of the things i really love about the entrepreneurial story is that there's so many of us particularly italians um that choose when our parents are like oh go be a doctor take an easier route we're like nope you guys struggled we admire that we're gonna go do the same thing and we're gonna make our own life for ourselves and it's not and i used to tense just because i think there's a cluster that we that i talk about a lot in my life that comes out of southern italy and the morals and ethics that came along with it there's parts of greece i believe that have come in and done the same thing we see it in astoria absolutely and so there's just i just use those two because i'm most familiar with it um, one as an Italian and two as my ex is Greek, like fully Greek. Mm-hmm. So there's like that understanding of the work ethic and the values that come into coming in the country. So you have all this instilled in you. You have the American dream. You're like, I could go back to graduate school. I could go maybe become like a therapist or something and get the hell out of the worst business there probably is in the world. <laughs> and Instead, I'm going to go right into it. Head and on. so explain this to me. So you got to preface this is that the restaurant raised me as much as my parents raised me. So like some of my biggest memories were in the restaurant. So during the summer, you know, my mom always wanted to send me to camp. and do, No, yeah. I was like, I want to hang out. I want to stay here. I got friends here. So, yeah, so as I got as I got older at the ripe age of 10, 11, (laughs) I would go to the restaurant like three, four days a week with my parents. And, you know, sometimes it was just folding pizza boxes in the basement. 
Uh, and then, you know, slowly graduating, I would take deliveries that were only a block radius away. Yeah. And it was great because, you know, I'd deliver a few pies on a pasta and I was getting a 20 buck tip <laughs> yeah. at 10, 11 years old. I was, I, uh, <laughs> I had some cash flow yeah. going. And so I grew up. So, you know, uh, every summer we'd spend there and then, you know. And you learn the value of money. I don't know how else to tell you. Like, there's a huge value of money absolutely. in an entrepreneurial family and being able to earn your own money. My dad used to always tell me, doesn't matter how much you make, it's how much you save. Yeah. Still to this day, he still yells at me. He's like, don't be spending. <laughs> than stupid you know, you know? He'll, he'll, that's always been ingrained to me so like when I grew up in that place I always had it in my mind that hey I'm going to take over the restaurant and I always wanted to expand uh, the restaurants into other other because you know that was my parents place and we had the fire we did rebrand it but I always had grander grander plans yeah, which and is always like then they also want it for you because you're the next generation your parents always do better than me which is something that doesn't happen very much anymore I just talked to Jesse's parents about it mm-hmm like the fact that our parents want us to do better than them just seems so foreign in today's world, which I don't understand, but go on. And I think that they were probably wanting you to venture out on your own and do well on your own. Yeah. I mean, yes. With, with always with caution, right? Yeah. Yes. Always with caution. Yeah. There's always that little pill of yeah. don't do this. Don't open this. It's too much work. It's too much stress. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. not worth it. Uh, yeah. No, listen, my parents always want the best for me. So they have like a saying in like Italian where it's basically like you live your life, how you live your life. And then when you have kids, you live your life for your kids. You're no longer living for yourself. Yeah, I know that saying very well. Right? So, like, you know, my dad's in his 70s, my mom's in her 60s, and still to this day, they'll do anything for me. So all they want to do is see me thrive and see me be successful. Um, You know, they want me to grow. They want me to be financially happy and, you know, mentally happy, everything. You know, they they mean the world to me. Like, the bond that I have with my parents is, I think, very rare, and I don't think... uh, Many people have that bond that I have uh, yeah. when it comes to them. But yeah, they definitely want to. They definitely wish me the best, and they want to see me grow and expand. And you know, and they're Italian, so make money. <laughs> yeah, that's and it's what it. And the reason it happens, and many people don't realize the Italian thing. And we just talked to Jesse, and the successful kids or the next generation that's us have successful parents in the way that they raise us, in the way that they drive in values. And the other part of it is is they're hard on us in a way that's usually harder than most families. But at the same time, they're driving goals and results and they're almost corralling us in a way towards them. So they can be critical, I agree, and it can be cautious. And But they are our biggest believers and they want things to be, they want us to be better than them in a lot of ways, even emotionally for that matter. Like it's just like every possible thing when the American dream is so hardcore or in Jesse's parents' case, so hardcore and to do better for the next generation or the community or whatever, and you're instilling those values, greatness comes out of the kids. And you guys are all the similar story. And it's a similar story to me as well when you're a high-functioning individual like were the three of us at this table. It came from our parents instilling that in us. Yeah. And I don't know, it didn't come from anywhere else. I mean, I was born an entrepreneur, but the hard work ethic, the discipline, the commitment came from my parents. And there was some, I have a bigger hunger than most kids, but my parents learned how to corral it and turn up the volume. And I think that that's what you're talking about. So what are the next steps? What do you do now? Do you get, you stay in business with your parents or you're like, I'm going to do this? So... My dad got a check from the insurance. It wasn't a huge check because it was an old insurance policy. 
and he basically said, listen, what do you guys want to do? You want to fix this place? Because you, you need a full gut, so you have to spend hundreds of thousands to fix the place. So I was like, do you want to buy a property? Do you want to continue with this? I'll pass this over to you. You guys can put up some money, and you guys want to build it. It's all up to you. So he left it to me and my brother's hands. So, wow. So my dad basically from that point retired. And your brother's a chef, right? My brother's the executive chef. He went to French culinary school. Cool. Uh, got classically trained. Then he worked uh, under Todd English for a while. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay, at so Olives. we're talking big at names. A f- yeah, he worked on uh, a few places, but he didn't. He always says, I wish I could have worked on a few places, but remember, we always had the family business yeah. in the background, so, <laughs> you know, we, we, we could, he couldn't stodge as many places as he wants to. Yeah, he's executive yeah. chef. He, he's tremendously, uh, tremendously talented and very innovative. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so basically, that was the conundrum, but this was, um, you know, but it was also like, we knew, we had, a, my parents had a clientele for 30 years of being kind of a pseudo-Italian luncheonette, which was almost like Greek diner-esque with big plates, huge menu sandwiches. Yeah. And we knew post-fire we wanted to kind of change the identity a little bit. So, uh, you know, it was, it, there was a lot of late-night talks with, like, don't make the place too expensive. Don't make it too fancy. Keep it the way we used to do it, you know. And, you know, and there was a lot of talks like, nah, you know, I don't know if that's going to work in the next 10, 15 years. We have, to, yeah. we have to reinvent the wheel. And the first year was tough. We lost a lot of our customers. And then, uh, you know, and then... Um, what Luckily, was the changes that you made? Like, how? What did you decide to do that was different than the original? To so, make it? I mean, I just couldn't keep that model alive anymore. My dad was doing, you know, my dad in the eighties and nineties was serving a pound of pasta for seven dollars when yeah. you know with vodka sauce on top and huge portions, and you know, meet and greet everyone. Which I'd love to do it, but just the way food every year expenses, labor, everything yeah. goes up, taxes. So we, you know, our margins as a restaurant tour every year shrink. Yeah, you know we're lucky right now in New York City to be even holding ten percent. Yes, and people don't realize that like it the the depreciation in the restaurant business on your margin is constant. It's constantly at no matter what you're doing, you're fighting the margin being eaten away by everyone else who doesn't do any of the work to sell the food. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) There's and there's that's a whole other podcast in its own that we could have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you know, obviously, my brother went to French culinary school, so he wanted to add. Some a little bit more refined plates at night nighttime. We knew that we didn't want to go too fancy or too upscale because it was a small little quaint sixty seater. But we wanted to kind of change up the menu a little bit and you know add a few uh, add a few twists, a few techniques. But we changed the way the look because the place looked like an eighties diner with stainless steel yeah. and pink and yellow and big glass brick. So you know we kind of ripped everything apart. We took the original brick. We put like an old school looking bar. We put a wood fired pizza oven. So we kind of made it more of like a cozy Italian trattoria feel yeah. instead of like kind of this 80s, 90 diner look. And, you know, we changed some of the menu with it, too. Uh, but, you know, there was just some staples that uh, we had to keep on that, you know, the neighborhood always, you know, loves. And then uh, we had a rough first year. It wasn't easy. And then eventually we transitioned. Then, you know, we uh, we re- reestablished, uh, reestablished ourselves. Everyone came back. And, yeah. Doing this at 23 years old. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I went to hospitality school at St. John's. I leaned on my brother heavy. If it wasn't at him, I, you know, I knew what my parents taught me. I always, I always knew how to dabble in the kitchen. I knew how to dabble in pizza. But at that point, I, w- I was raw, especially when it comes to, like, you know, the financials and the bookkeeping and the accounting and all the other, the million other things that, that goes. people don't even think exactly. about or know yeah. until they do it themselves. Exactly. Serving well, the customers. accounting in and of itself in a business that's running business and complicated menus and taking orders and yep. then paying out tips and it's just, and paying taxes. Yeah. 
Like the sales so tax thing is just like oh, crazy. Sales tax is crazy. Payroll tax is the, what gets me the most. Yeah. You're paying tax on income that's already taxed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. like, okay. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. <laughs> Where do I sign up for agree. this one? Yeah. <laughs> Double dip all the way. Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about, like, you open the restaurant now. Is it just your brother or the families involved too, or is it just the two of you that are owners at this point? So in uh, in the in the city location, it's me and my brother, the majority, and I gave some minor partnership to a few of my workers that were with me forever. So I have guys very that have cool. been with me seven, eight years, and I knew very, I needed a strong cool. uh, support system. So I gave them a chance to buy in because here's the other side part: we were closed for COVID for two and a half years. So oh, we just wow. reopened in uh, August. Because we were going back and forth. I didn't know what Midtown was going to be. And it was it was scary times. It was like, do we open? Do we not reopen? What do we do? Yeah. At that point, I had launched a huge restaurant in Long Island already. So I had my hands kind of full. Astoria. I had a story location going. So we were going back and forth. And, you know, I kind of I kind of met with a few of my workers that have been with me a long time that were trusted. And I said, hey, I said, you know, we'll give you the recipe to try to help you out as much as we can. But you guys are going to have to help me run this ship. And they all agreed, and they were like, you know, yeah, I gave them a chance to buy equity into a place. And, you know, so I have some small minority partners, me and my brother are the partners, but I'm very happy to give away what I gave because, uh, again, that's a success story in their own that, you know, now they have a little bit of equity in a restaurant, which anywhere else would be very difficult for them to buy in. Yeah, I agree with you. And so how did you handle the COVID situation? You And tell me about the other two restaurants also. But let's talk about COVID because you're in a little different space than Jesse, where Jesse's in bagels and people still come in and it was already a to-go business. Yeah. You're in a sit-down dining situation yes, mainly. We, we did some takeout, but yet where I am in the city, I'm on 46 between 5th and 6th, a block away from the Julie District. So all my main revenue streams are gone. There was no corporate lunch anymore. Gone. Yeah, no corporate lunch. No one shopping for rings or anything. No one shopping for rings. No theater traffic. No theater, yeah. No tourist traffic. I remember one day I went into the city, and I went into Midtown, and I felt like Will Smith from I Am Legend. There yeah. was nobody anywhere. I heard I heard birds chirping in Times Square. That's how I knew it was a complete dead oasis. Well, and I'll give a plug. My one, my best friend from high school owns Romer Debos uh, Law uh, Firm, and um, they do real estate law here in the city, and they're real estate attorneys. And he would send me pictures of him walking by himself to his office just to check in on his office, and there'd be no one on the streets, like down Madison Avenue yep. and uh, or 3rd, and, and he'd be walking down from 59th Street, and it'd just be him by himself and not a soul. And it was the weirdest thing, and I agree with you. I, well, one, I can't even understand it because Denver wasn't like that. I mean, we didn't absolutely go away and not hit the streets in Denver, but that is what happened here. Yeah. And so how do you deal with this? What do you do with your restaurant? You're paying – do you still pay your lease payments? Do you go to the government? I mean, at some point you're like, yeah, you're so, effed all the way around. <laughs> so basically – so obviously I have a good relationship being that I'm, I dealt with the same landlord for all those years. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. you know um, – his best success, chance of success was me renting it versus anyone else. And so we kind of, uh, we worked something out, you know. But there were some rocky times. There were some times where, uh, you know, we fought head to head on some stuff. Uh, I was supposed to get uh, a nice chunk of money from the restaurant revitalization fund. And that's the fund that got underfunded by about 75%. Yeah, yeah. So I was waiting. I got approved IRS verification, and the money never came because the fund ran out. So that was like a, a huge disappointment letdown for me. 
So at that point, we were kind of it was kind of wait and see and figure it out. To be honest with you, it wasn't a concrete game plan, and I had the Astoria location, which was a little more residential. So I remember I closed for a week, and then I don't know what I was gonna do. And I put an Instagram post on the Astoria location, and I put, should I open or should I close, as a poll. And a ton of you know, I don't have a huge Instagram phone, It's like six, seven thousand people, but I got a huge response. It was like ninety-five percent yes. What a lot of people voted. I was like, all right, we're gonna open. I said, I don't know who. So I started calling my staff. I could only had there was only one person that was willing to work, which was one of my guys in the back. Really? Yeah, because no because people were scared and you know not everyone was comfortable working. Yeah, so it's so interesting because I didn't live in that world. Oh yeah, no, New York was a complete lockdown. So. I told him, listen, I'll pay for your Uber every day if that makes you feel safer. Because at that point, it was like, don't take trains, don't do this, don't yeah, do that. Yeah. So he agreed to work with me. And then I really didn't know what to do because I only had one guy. I had a lot of product. And then I got to give credit to my friend in California, Sal, who owns a bunch of restaurants, Scopa Italian Roots. He started this concept and called it a Scopa Market, where it was instead of being a restaurant, it became a pseudo deli. So I had fresh pastas, I had ricotta, I had prosciutto. So I just started selling packages of stuff. It was like I opened the window, I had it cracked, and it was like, who wants to buy pasta? Like, you know, yeah. I have I have marinara sauce, vodka sauce. So I was like, almost, I became like a pseudo deli trying to get rid of some of my product, giving away for cheap. And then we started doing more takeout. I did like a sandwich menu, some cheap pizzas, and then it kind of evolved. And then the, the big changer for us, the game changer for us, when they started doing drinks to go. Yes, I want to just because we I want to talk about that, but go ahead talk yeah, about so this a little when bit. When drinks to go started happening, like alcoholic beverages, exactly. Right? So I was one of the first guys to do like the frozen slushies. I was doing frozen Aperol spritzes, doing frozen mai tais, doing like really cool stuff, and kind of dim bars became like a pseudo bar crawl. So it was like let's walk up because no one was doing anything. So everyone was like let's get a drink at Nino's, let's get a drink here. Yeah, and then it just became, and then that evolved. You started the weather started getting nicer, and then they finally let us uh, sit outdoors. So I have a big corner over there. So I was one of the first ones. I remember I got the permit Thursday morning. It said you, your your outdoor permit starts on Monday, but I'm like, how am I going to set it up on Monday if I don't have the? Because there was parked cars there. So I went. I called my friends at uh, at a construction company. I got some work cones. So one car left, I put two work cones down. Two cars left, I put two work cones down. So the whole neighborhood's looking at me like I'm crazy. I have the whole street coned off i call my i call a carpet guy i put grass down i call my carpenter i said how quickly can you make me kit picnic tables because i have to do saturday morning so by saturday night my outdoor dining was already ready yeah yeah because i mean i did the same thing in georgia i was like how quick can i move get down grass picnic yep. tables try to make a business run here exactly because you you have to go to go you don't have a choice and it's outdoors that's exactly what it was so i was i think one of the first ones to start doing i, I was one of the first ones to, i bought 10 foot palm trees i added all the lights i, I did all these like miami crazy colors and then you know and then the outdoor dining that that friday it wasn't even I, w I wasn't even using that side. I was using only my normal sidewalk seating, but everyone was already like, oh, wow, this looks so cool. And the anticipation started. So I said, I got to do something to give like these people like a little bit of a break, a mental break, a reprieve. So I threw a DJ like two weeks after that. And then it kind of got crazy for like three, four weeks. <laughs> and then it turned into like a pseudo outdoor kind of party. And it wasn't even my attention. It was just like, hey, let's just play some music. It's outdoor because, you know, we were told as long as you're outdoor, you were okay, pretty safe, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, I hired security to try to keep the distance for everyone. Uh, but, you know, there wasn't many options. The city was closed and Astoria had a lot of things going on. And it just, you know, 
it became crazy. I was booking out weeks in advance on Friday, Saturday night. Uh, you know, just magnums of rosé and tequila and just everyone had fun. But, I mean, and we try to do it responsibly, uh, even though, like, it looked crowded at times. And I think if you speak to a lot of people that were in the story in that time, they could say some of their their most fun times of, like, this whole crazy pandemic was that little, that little stretch that we had uh, just, you know, eating some pizza. And drinking, you know, having just a few basically drinks. Basically having a field party, basically, in, in the middle of the street. Yeah, and it's like, because there's no other choice. There's like, no other choice. And and we did need reprieve. I mean, what happened, like, I can't tell you how, I mean, I think about how hard it was. And I, in the lockdown, and we were in healthcare, and so it's like, your world gets so small. Mm-hmm. And so I love that this is, you're just trying to survive and do the right thing for the humans. And you have success because of that. Yeah. So exactly. you weren't even looking at it as a money point of view. You were I literally said, I literally text my friend. I said, you know, people are so mentally shot right now. I said, everyone's exhausted. I said, I need you. I need you to give me a good set. I need you to, I need you to just rip it and just take everyone's mind off it. And you know, and and, and he did. Yeah, feel <laughs> Shout out to DJ Nino Brown, good friend of mine. Sorry, I think a little no, plug. Absolutely, absolutely. And um. So do you use delivery service then when you were talking about the beverages? So you went to like DoorDash and Grubhub and all them? And yeah, we were. We were. We were so on. you were able to put the to-go alcoholic beverages on those platforms? We were. We were. Uh, it, was, it was legal as long as it was purchase of food. Uh, okay. But still, like, you know, it never sold as much as people thought it would to go. I think, the, I think a part of the drinks to go, the experience was actually going to the venue grabbing it yourself and actually socializing and walking around and, walking and, around and seeing people yeah right yeah. it wasn't staying it, wasn't in, it really wasn't to get it at home exactly because listen if you really want to you can go on youtube right now and type in how to make a margarita order all the stuff off drizzly and make a great margarita Drizzly, yeah. right yeah. or whatever whatever kind of companies that sell booze i think it was a part of the experience i think it was just to get out of the house it was yeah. an excuse to get out of the house during a tough yeah, time. Yeah, actually, one of the guys, the one of the guys, a small side store that that worked for me during the pandemic was a customer of mine. He came every day to buy a pizza, and he's like, "Dude, I'm bored." And he was in hospitality. He's like, "When can I work for you?" I said, "There's nothing to work right now." He's like, "No, no." He's like, "Understand? Don't even pay me." He goes, "Just let me know when I could work. I'll help you out. I can't stay in the house anymore. I need something to do." And he would ask me like this for like weeks and weeks and weeks. And then one day I wasn't feeling good. I'm like, "I'm like, do you really want to come help out?" He goes, yeah. I said, okay. I'm like, come, come in. And he just started, you know, he started working with me. He wound up working with me for a year in the pandemic. Yeah. And he was a reg- he was a regular of mine that came in all the time, you know. And it just, it was just crazy times. Yeah, I know. And it's just so weird. Those yeah. times were so. What we did to businesses in the food businesses during that time oh, is just painstaking. Yeah. Horrendous. And I can't believe that there were more food businesses than any other businesses. Yet we just hit them so hard. hard. Yeah. I had I had one day so the story got a little crazy and it became national news because there was some parts of the neighborhood that was going every day partying until late hours. Yeah. Which you know we didn't do I was only pushing it Friday, Saturday. It was pretty normal the rest of the week. So we got a lot of scrutiny. So I remember one day alone I had nine government agencies come to my restaurant. Nine. And because of a COVID violation. Because of COVID protocols or whatever. That's, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, I mean, it, it just got crazy. It was like one after the other after the other and just showing them the same thing. Uh, you know, I seen, uh, I seen viol- what didn't happen to me, I seen violations being given because tables were not exactly six yeah. feet apart. Guy had measuring tape. Yeah. They were just like a little bit short. Um, I mean, I seen crazy things. I mean, 
there's some stuff that you know I, have, I can only say off the record because I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, but there was there was some uh, not cool tactics. Let's just say that yeah, you know it was, well, and it was I, very tough. I agree with you 100. percent And I didn't see it here in New York, but I saw it in other parts of the world. And just the extremism to prove a point sometimes or to be right. I would say I don't know how else to put it, but it don't it hurt the businesses even more. You weren't helping by enforcing the rules. You were. In the way that we went about it, it just made things 10 times worse for the restaurants. And and the reality is this, and I'm going to say this, there was no cleaner place on the planet than a restaurant that's operating during COVID because restaurants are by nature the cleanest places there are because you have to wipe down and clean all the time compared to any other business. You want to go to the worst place? Go to a corporate building that has keyboards and mouses and the people never wash their hands. Sure. And so... It's just the weird, we just twisted life so bad and we're like, it's the food and you can't have the food. Well, hold on. That's the cleanest place there is. Like it's cleaner than your own kitchen. Trust me. And you may think it's not, but it is. And it's, um, it's that. So let's talk about what happens here. How do you survive this? And how do you get to the other side of COVID amongst like New York City is probably the one of the worst places to go through COVID with with any type of dining concept. Yeah, I mean, it, it was difficult. So, like I said, you know, we had the DJ going. Uh, we were busy every night, very busy on the weekends. Everything was going good. And then when we signed up for the sidewalk seating, there was a 11 or a 12 o'clock curfew that no one really enforced. You were allowed to keep your guests out there. And then when things started to happen, they started enforcing that 11 o'clock cutoff. Which means you couldn't yeah. serve anyone. All at, of Dittmar's, right? All they the Dittmar's. So parties. they were coming. That's kind of awesome. They were coming. I love Dittmar's. With, with paddy wagons, sheriffs, vest, bulletproof vest, armored vehicles, with a brigade, sirens. We will close you down. It was like something out of like uh, The Purge. It was like, we will close you down if you serve after 11 o'clock. Your liquor license will be taken. And when I say there's a convoy, I'm not exaggerating because I have the videos of it about 25 cars deep yeah yeah I've coming down patrolling. i saw some on so YouTube obviously years ago yeah or a year ago i guess now so obviously that took this thing this thing off us yeah you know you know and then you know we just we had we all had to like scale back and be super strict and we'd have to there were times i had to kick people out of the table they weren't done eating it was like 11 o'clock i would warn them i say hey listen it's 10 o'clock i know you want to order by 11 o'clock i'm kicking you out of the table i said i'm sorry i know it sounds rude but if you're here by 1101 i can't risk a fine and people, you know, people are like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then, like, you know, 10.55 will come, and I'd be like, here's two here's two to-go containers. You got to go. He's like, oh, I want to finish up the drink. I'm like, I'm sorry. It's out of my hands. You don't understand. They're trying to take yeah. everyone's liquor license right now. Yeah. So it got extreme. You know, obviously, that's going to turn off some people, right? Uh, yeah. And then I think, I think the biggest detriment, though, I think all the restaurants were doing not bad. It was the second lockdown. Yes. When they re-locked us down, I say that was, like, a nail in the coffin in a lot of the industry because you just kind of got back on your feet you had some outdoor dining you're doing okay hopefully you had some ppp or sba money floating around which gave you gave you a chance Room to operate uh, gave you a little bit of chance to operate and then you go and then the holiday season went gone you know covid started spreading again all the holiday parties gone yeah and then and then i still remember they were like oh you could open up shows you just how how like administrations are not run by business people because yes. because they said you're going to reopen on Valentine's Day. Uh, how do you want me to prep for Valentine's Day? Yeah. And then he got so much scrutiny that we were able to open up February 12th. But after that, I felt like, for example, my my place alone, at least six of my staff members moved out of the state. Yeah. That were just like, okay, 
I'm getting tech. I'm getting calls from yeah, Texas. Yeah. I'm getting calls from Florida. My guys, I'm, my friends are making fifteen hundred, two thousand a week right now. You know, Mike, I got to support my my family. I got. I said, hey. I said you got knocked down. I gave. I gave. Up, yeah. Get knocked out again. How do you come back? Exactly. I gave my handshake. I said, listen, thank you so much. You're a great asset. I wish you would stay, but I understand in your situation. Yeah. So I mean that that was tough. That you know that second shutdown, which like. Uh, I think that one was really, really tough. You know, it was uh, tough to get back on on the feet after being open, close, open, close, open, close. You know, it's just hard to gain, hard well, to gain momentum. And I agree with you. There's no business people running these businesses because if you understand, or a person that's been in sports, maybe even, if you understand what you're doing to the human psyche, most humans don't bounce back from that second knockdown especially in business like especially in this town um it's just too much because it's already been a hard knock and the first one was already hard based on how many times you've already had to pick yourself in 9-11 in this place and then the financial crisis and oh, then absolutely. when we weirdly had like weird stuff like hoof and, hoof and foot mouth and the hurricane that flooded yep. all of in 2012 that took us out and flooded how many businesses and um and things like that so it's just one of those things where it mind boggled me when i agree with you it's almost like we lost all sense of logic and reason and we buried our economy and the people who had worked a lifetime to build it and out of all things that you want to take out it's probably not a food business which takes the longest to build yeah and and has the most of them there's more food entrepreneurs and food people and employees than any other industry in the world. And we just totally weirdly attacked it because I don't know how else to describe it because it didn't go that way towards any other business. Yeah, we got the wrath. Like even even I remember when uh, the vaccine mandate came down yeah. in New York and it was the first ones that had to get it were hospitality workers. Yes. And I was wait whatever you want to pass the mandate that's their obligation it is what it is but i was like how how do healthcare workers not have to be the first ones in line over here when they're directly dealing with the virus every day of their life right exactly i'm not getting into the topic of not vaccine or vaccine. it was just weird that the restaurant workers were the first ones that were teed up to get the get the vaccine to me it kind of mean i just it felt like it was kind of an attack on hospitality and i agree i think that Overall, I don't know why we did this. I don't understand as a country why we did it, but we really passed a lot of laws that hurt the American food business, mm-hmm. the farmers, big industry, small industry, and really badly the food entrepreneurs who had worked so hard to build their businesses that by that point. And while I will say there's a lot of strong entrepreneurs that made it through the other side, there's a lot of people that were had built those businesses their entire lives that just couldn't make the bump and didn't have the resources or the technological know-how how to pivot. And I, it's hard for me to say, but one of the things I've learned is their survival, which is true, but there's also the there's also a lot of people that were in their 50s and 60s that had built businesses over long generations, particularly in mom and pop shops and built relationships that didn't know how to pivot quickly enough and didn't know they how didn't to do it. They didn't have the second generation behind them. Yeah, they didn't have the second generation. kids to help yeah. them through it or family members to help, but they didn't have the resources to help them through it and they had to close down and you yeah. see it all over the city. Yeah. Stores for rent. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I've never Workers seen anything like it. Fam- 
it goes even more into to the workers, the employees that are working for these stores. It's yeah. not just the, the owners and the food industry and the restaurateurs. It's them, too. Yeah. They have families to feed. Now their restaurant that they were working at is shut down. They don't get their tips. They don't get any. Where yeah. are they going to go? Yep. And where and they and don't spend their money at the restaurant. And they don't spend their money at the grocery They're going to Texas. Store. They're going out of state where these places A lot of people open, left. And they need to make money. Yep. Yeah. That, and that also, what happened in New York also was that labor void that everyone's been talking about. And that labor gap. There's no one to work. There's no one to work. Now, even when things are back to normal now. Uh, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, there's no one to work. I can't find anyone to work at my restaurant. I can't find a cook. I can't find a waiter. Well, part of that is because a lot of the talented staff got poached by huge hospitality groups yeah. that expanded in other states. You know, Florida's yeah. booming. Yeah, look Florida's at every booming. look at every New York chain that went down to Florida. Every big chain, every big, you know, major foods opening up there. Avra's opening up there. Huge yeah, restaurants. Same Texas, Texas, Colorado, Colorado, exactly because like, they pay high money to the hospitality. So all they're getting all the hospitality workers, and the rest of the world's gone bankrupt. Exactly. So you, you know, workers. so you you poached a lot of that New York talent because yeah. you know a part of opening up in New York used to be like we used to have the, uh, an amazing talent pool, yeah. uh, you know, and now you know that all got poached. So that's like a post dynamic COVID covid shift i think that definitely definitely happened well and then covid stopped our immigration which didn't allow new immigrants to come in like our ancestors to come fill those scraps and food or in laying bricks or whatever it is in construction also not only food so there's those gaps too and it's the i i just it's one a business decision but how do we not know this from being a country for 200 years that this (laughs) wasn't a good idea but yeah it's a whole different topic and and i will say this and i want to talk about this because you guys you you're out the other side now and we're we're in a different world but what are you thinking to yourself at this point when they close down the second time because again you're in a situation now where you rebuild you have your employees leaving like how do you and your brother have a conversation about what to do next even as owners, like you guys may be like, oh, are we going to be, do we have to go get another job? I don't know what that looks like maybe, but how much are you struggling? So I think when that second lockdown happened, it was like, oh, you guys can still do takeout and you could do outdoor dining, right? And I remember trying to do it, you know, as much as we could. And, you know, so I had, I had, uh, I built like a semi half enclosed, half open because they allowed some airflow uh vestibule that i spent a ton of money on i had all electric heaters put outside so i try to make a comfy outdoor heating area and i just remember one time just like watching just was like a freezing day my waiters are north faces taking the food outside and i'm just like why are we doing this and i'm like why are we doing this and that day i kind of just got fed up and i said honestly i I don't even want to like i'm like i'm gonna keep the place open right now because whatever you guys are making hopefully it's skin teeth. I said, you know, I'm just going to, for me, I'm going to be operating at a loss right now. I said, so whatever you guys make for tips, but I'm like, I had to kind of talk with the staff and they're like, no, we'd rather work. I was like, okay. Cause if not at that point, I was just going to like, you know, let's just close this till I could open up again because you know, you're serving food and then it gets ice cold. Your yeah. guests are freezing. The floor's freezing. It, it just, at one point it was just getting, it just got silly. You know, it just got silly. It's like, 
it's not what you open, you know. It's not, <laughs> not what you. You know, up. you you open up a nice restaurant with marble tables and nice fixtures and everything, and you have takeout bags everywhere, yeah. and you have plastic cups everywhere. And now your employees are where, and I, you know, I, I was feeling bad for my employees too. I felt like sometimes they were freezing at the end of the yeah. at the end of the night, you know, even if it wasn't busy or not busy, but constantly going back and forth. And, and how do you, you get through that? Exactly, that exactly. You know, you you know, in a way. You were already kind of you and your brother were prepared for that dealing with the fire incident also to deal with adversity. We've dealt, so, dealt with a lot of so, trials and tribulations. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you you were prepared to battle. You were prepared to put your head down. Like you said, you were prepared to operate at a loss for the better of your staff, and and just to keep trying to keep the brand pushing, which yeah. shows a lot. And if it you know if it wasn't for those values that your parents instilled in you yeah, and you course. having to go through that time with your brother when it was just you two opening up the place from a zero i don't know if you guys could have done it yeah i mean that's there's a hundred percent truth in that you know definitely some of the past experiences you know you always grow from your past experience whether good or bad or or negative you know there's always growth there so that's definitely so a huge why key. hold on because i'm i i I'm glad that you did. Like, let's just be clear. Like, this is not a negative question, even mm-hmm. though it's coming out it with a negative connotation uh, or whatever the word would be, connotation. Is that why hold on? Like, everything's falling apart. Why keep going? Uh, it's kind of like at that point you already, you know, it's like. In too deep. You're in too deep, exactly, exactly. It's like a poker analogy, you know. <laughs> you went, you went all in on the pot, and now what are you gonna, you know, you're gonna fold before the last card, you know? Yeah. So you know, you're kind of in deep, and I did have a sense that that shot down wasn't gonna be as long as as it was. We were all like. So we, it was funny. We had like a group text with a bunch of restaurant owners in November, and we were trying to pick the day we were going to get locked down. So we all kind of saw it coming. So I think that also lessened the burden because we all knew it was coming. But we literally had a text back. What do you guys think? November 7th, 14th, 11th? Yeah. And we were all talking about that. And, and, and we all said, watch us, watch him open us right back up before Valentine's Day. And it's, literally, we all Wait called out it. like a book. Yeah, we all called it. Like, we all called it. So I, being the... It was a little bit less painful because, listen, January and February, no restaurants printing money. Yes, no In kidding. New York, right? Yeah. Not in this Not cold in weather. Not in any cold so, weather state. It's just a matter of just getting by. So it was. Employees. I think that made it swallow it a little bit easier saying, hey, okay, at least it's January and February. Yeah. They're not great months anyways. Yeah. So... I think that was a part of it, and a part of it was just like, all right, you know, we're open now. Let's the staff make open. Hopefully, they can make a few bucks, make some tips, and pay my guys, and we'll just run kind of skeleton and a smaller menu, and we'll just try to, you know, just try to keep our eyes on on the prize and focus. You know, like you said, in too deep, you can't. At that point, you can't just yeah, already what you, burn the ship. Yeah, what are you, what are you gonna do? You've been closed and open so many times now in different <laughs> yeah. directions. You know, it's like. Eventually, yeah. you just got to pick a lane and stick to it. Yeah. Uh, there was the just a point I remember, like when because we were regulated, and they would come in and be like, "Do you unmask or mask?" Yeah. And then it'd be like, "No, everyone has to be masked." And I'm like, "Wait, wait, everyone can be unmasked, but you want me to mask all my employees? Like yeah. they're not going to be happy about this. They're already not wanting to come to work as yeah. it is." Yeah, did you, you, did you deal with the plastic dividers? Them. Yes, the plastic. That divider. was the best. I spent. Jesus Christ! What I spent in the past, I probably spent like seven or eight grand on plastic dividers, right? <laughs> that that everyone took their mask off, ate in between the plastic dividers, right? And yeah. then got to the bathroom, didn't have to need their mask on for the bathroom. And I was like, "What is this really stopping?" Like I was just, I was just, I'm making like mini jail cells for everybody. I was like, "What is going?" We on have plastic right now? dividers, the and then time, the table only one and eat in the middle of plastic yeah. dividers, and They're one person per Plus. table, and like it was just like Crazy none of it worked this. ever. Yeah. None of it no. made any sense. Nope. And 
we wasted how much plastic? I can't even God knows how oh, much you plastic in the world you has been thrown into the You dump. couldn't find Plexi during that time. Yeah, you couldn't. Well, that was the best because like, right before COVID happened, New York had this whole big, we're going paper and we're getting rid of plastic. plastic. And then COVID happened. You had gloves, latex gloves everywhere and latex, which I understand, you know, it happened, but it was kind of like, what a, what a 180 we just Here's my through. favorite thing that no one ever talks about. Literally three days before COVID happened, we were saving the turtles from plastic straws. <laughs> And everyone was doing paper straws, and it was the biggest trend ever. Then all of a sudden, COVID happened. It's like plastic galore. Forget the turtle choking on the straw. He's going to choke on the whole fucking bottle now. And <laughs> and on the plastic, and on the lid, and on everything yeah. that goes along with the plastic. Because we just all of a sudden like forgot all about yeah. it, and then just threw the plastic bomb yeah. at the world. The and visors. The, the visors. visors. The gloves. Oh, my oh gosh. My and yards. how much hand the, sanitizer oh, that we put it. into the world. Like... Forget it. Everyone's like, oh, why is everyone sick from this again? It's because we sterilized this shit out of everything, and now yeah. we've created a sterilized community yeah, where had, everyone's getting sick. I had, had some, I don't want to name them, because I, but I had some people that were sterilizing their vegetables at home. Yeah. And I was like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we, um, I've seen that. Yeah. I've seen it with our food. I saw people do it with their chicken, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. You cook it. You yeah. cook it. It's like, a virus. Yeah. It's a virus. Kills it. Yeah, yeah, the virus thing. Oh, and the other thing, we're humans. We're meant to fight viruses. Bacteria, we have a little trouble with. Bubonic mm-hmm. plague, trouble. COVID, we might stand a chance. Just let it go for a second. Yeah. But it's, um, I will say this. I will say that, um, I can't imagine what that was like. I know what it was like for me on my side in the trucks and the businesses, but being confined and we were trying to do food out of Brooklyn ourselves and we were healthcare, so we were a priority. But even that, you had to go around the special permit and our workers were pulled over on a regular basis for being out on the road and harassed and why were they going and where were they going? And they're like, we're going to Brooklyn to produce food for the hospitals, for the compromised patients and constant problems or constant problems trying to get into the hospitals to deliver the food and you know it's it's really i did a podcast with someone else and i can't remember the name of the group but i was like basically the unsung heroes of COVID, and it comes down to all the hospitality workers so while they were first in line to get the COVID shot and i agree it should have been health care one of the weird things is that a lot of hospitality workers still showed up to work like here and and i hear about it and you have it at your business and when there wasn't work they had to go somewhere else but the ones who were dedicated and the ones who didn't leave the industry really went through a lot and took a lot of risks to stay in the business and serve food and and get harassed by people sometimes because they were out working during covid and i think that that's a big part of what happened too and i'm not sure if how much you guys experienced that but it was definitely like that and then the other part was if i was open the amount of pushback from people that were mad because i was open and possibly spreading covid which was a whole other aggression that i had to deal with and i don't know what it was like here in new york i gotta imagine it's worse oh yeah you definitely got you definitely got uh you definitely a huge not i won't say huge but definitely part of the population they're like can't believe you're doing outdoor dining i can't believe people are uh, right next to each other and you know i can't believe people are having fun and yeah. you know and yeah. you know like you know like you know big push i got like one or two like i got dms i think there was a reddit page going on about me at one yeah. point 
you know, my friend texts me. He's like, oh, man, you know, run a Reddit page. There's a flyer about us. I was like, congratulations. You're going viral. Yeah. <laughs> I, said, I said, there's nothing we're doing wrong. It's outdoor, man. We, yeah. we know that the spread uh, of this transmission of this virus by now, outdoor, nothing's going to happen, you know. Uh, I want to say nothing, but the percentages are small. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, there's definitely push pushback from that, pushback. Infamous would be the word at this point yeah. a little bit. And that's okay because I think that it matters to do the right thing. Exactly. Like like I said, uh, you know, like I remember when I went to I went to speak to someone one day and I was like and I just asked them to like because they were really emphasizing the six the six feet thing. And it was using. So in New York City, I forgot exactly the guidelines, but we were supposed to enforce. I don't know how many hundreds of feet in front of our restaurant, yeah, yeah. which makes it impossible because it, it wound up being like almost a block that you had to enforce. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you get a ticket for anything. So I went up to this guy. I said, hey, man, I said, I'm sorry. Can you just spread out? You know, you got to be six feet apart. And the guy just looked at me and the guy was like six, four, six, five. He's looking down at me and I'm pretty tall. He's like, hey, man, he goes, I just want to have a little fun, man. I'm not trying to do any trouble. He goes, can I just stand here? I just want to watch the restaurant be busy and stuff and and feel normal and like. I just want to sit next stand next to my group of friends over here. And I'm like, what do I tell this guy right now? This guy's like heartbroken. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Because I'm trying to kick him off the block. Like, you know, because yeah. he's next to too many people. And the guy like, I was like, all right. And I'm like, just just try to just spread up your friends a little bit. He's like, dude, he's like, I've been stuck in my house. And he just kept going. I'm like, I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I don't know what to say to this guy. Like, you know, know what I mean? I'm trying to do the right thing. And the guy, you know, the guy's like heartbroken, you know, because like, like everyone missed that, you know. We're creatures, like you know, we, we need social interactions. Yeah. Maybe not everyone, but you know, to have zero social interactions, and everything's on a Zoom, and everything's COVID, COVID, COVID. You know, it just uh, it just and got here's crazy. the crazy part. I'm gonna just say this: as a Amer- Italian American, as someone who understands the American dream, as someone who has another half of my family that came over way before that side of the family. I don't even want to know what they went through because it's all mixed up. But we were on ships. We were pissing and pooping on each other with more diseases and viruses and bacteria than you could possibly imagine. And we knew we had to go through it and we possibly would not survive getting to America. Like it's a very real thing no matter when it was. And you talk about $20 in your pocket. That's not enough to buy insurance, guys. Or deal with the new viruses when you get to America. I think my uncle Vincenzo, from what I remember... My dad and my grandfather, I think it took them seven days to get here. Yeah. My uncle's boat went all the way down to Argentina. He was 31 days at sea <sighs> to get here. Yeah. 31 and, days at sea. Like, and, and I mean, so. not <laughs> in a, and it wasn't a cruise line, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. This was like slipping on top of people, not much food. Yeah. But I know it took him 31 days by the time he left Italy to get back. And most of that was on the, in the water. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy times. And people want to, and and so to think about that, we purposely do this to people and put them in those conditions when the sacrifice we had to make there, and then people are mad and wanting to go in that condition. Hold on, hold on. Do you realize that what we had to go through to get here to put ourselves in that? Yet you want us to isolate ourselves or or do whatever in a similar way. Like it's just a very weird thing. Um, The other part that I want to tell the story is that really we were exposed to how much is why we would get quarantined in Ellis Island when it was open because all the stuff you were exposed to on the ships or Mm -hmm. you could possibly be bringing over from a foreign country that they didn't want to come into the United States. 
And so it's interesting to me that we took such a different approach to COVID when we've dealt with viruses and stuff going across the country and we treated it so bad. So I just want to make note of that. It doesn't, we don't need to talk about it, but I think it's just important to understand that we can be so reckless as humans and we can cause such damage because we think we're doing good, but we we overshoot the mark. Mm-hmm. And the damage in the long run and the legacies is is a long time it because affect millions. you may be running your business right now, but we just talked about short staff still and hospitality across the country. And so oh, yeah. we'll get into that, but let's continue. So you start to get back open. How do you get back on your feet? How do you, I mean, there's momentum and everyone wants to go out. So that's going in your favor, but New York's still not as open as the rest of the world to people going out necessarily in terms of people's yeah opinions. i mean i think so after like that second lockdown then we opened in then it was uh oh man i forgot it's like it's like 10 stages of COVID. i forgot what stage it's yeah. in but then we had a minimum occupancy of indoor how many how many people we could fit in so it was whatever your occupancy was it was like 25 percent, then 33 percent, then 50 percent so if everybody knows, like, you know, little sidebar, no restaurant can make money unless they have their full occupancy available, yes. right? We can't operate at 25 or 50% in in these thin margins. And it's a square foot problem. Like, yeah. if you're not maximizing your square exactly. footage and making it useful, the m- maximum amount of time you can make it useful, which it's in the food business is the like, exactly. like you have to. So go on. I just it's, Yeah, so we, so, so we had that coming in and you know it rebounded and it was like okay i i could do 18 people tonight right <laughs> and then and then i would say and then it was a little bit of free fall because i think at this point restaurateurs got messed up and we're just kind of over it and i went to a few places and i was like this place is packed to the brim <laughs> like you guys are breaking everything right now because i think at that point they were just like I don't care. You could just shut me down right yeah. now. Like, you know what I mean? It's over. It's it's over with. And also, like everyone in the five boroughs, we got such a bad, such a bad end of the stick because Long Island was fully open. Yeah. So all our customers were just driving. If you're on the borderline of Queens, everyone was brought. I went. I went out to Long Island. I, I almost had a heart attack when I saw how busy these places were. I, I said, know exactly what I you're said, talking about. I said, "Are you kidding me? I'm only a 15 minute ride from here, and they, these guys don't even have six feet. They don't even have six inches from the table. Yeah. I'm like, they're throwing parties. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, what is it? And I, after being I shut down for so long, all the people need well, something. And yeah. part of the problem is, if you're six feet apart, do you need a mask at that point? Because is it double? Are I you doubling know. down? Like, what's the point of six he, feet and yeah. the mask? Like, uh, I'm just I never understood like it shouldn't be one or the other, other like yeah. but what we'll get into that another day because this is where like humanity to me is like wait a second what do you mean you're either six feet from me or you're wearing a mask yeah. like that's the point so you shouldn't be six feet apart if you have a mask on because you can't breathe on the person and they can't breathe on you so what's going on here but anyway go on so yeah so like you know so I think at that point like you know I like I said, Denmark's kind of under scrutiny, so like you know, yeah. I just made sure, and then we grew and grew, and then eventually, most of the COVID restrictions eventually got lifted, and kind of things went back, yeah, to, back norm. to normal. And uh, I kind of feel like you know people started going out again, but then also now was the city started to reopen, so now I think people started every spot that they missed that they haven't been to because the city, most restaurants were locked down the whole the whole time, not till they were almost able to operate fully open. 
So then I think became like an the influx of people exactly. trying to go back to exactly. Stuff I would say the first baby steps of the resurgence of New York City hospitality was when everyone's like, oh, my favorite and you name iconic restaurant, just put blank over open. here. Open. I got to go visit them. I haven't been there in a long time. So I think yeah. the people started slowly migrating back. Crawling back into the exactly, city. Exactly. Because, you know, yeah, exactly. So I think blast. I think that was uh, that was uh, that was like when it got back to normal. And then I think this year, what I saw this year was the travel year, which was, oh, summertime's here. We're, we're, especially with, like, the remote working, it really changed the dynamic yeah. of, like, the oh, three-day. work from Aruba. And yeah, I'll exactly. Be so it really changed, like, the dynamic of, like, the three-day weekend and Thanksgiving. I noticed that, like, you know, the holidays and the weekends where people used to hang around more. Now, instead of just they're, taking Thanksgiving off for four or five days. Because they summer the previous year. Exactly. So, so everyone's make, kind of making up time. Like, so they're like, oh, I'm going back home. I'm going to take this day off, work these three days remote, three days. So I'm going to be gone for two weeks. So I spoke to like a lot of people that were like, you know, and same thing during the summer. Everyone, you know, and rightly so, I think everyone's finally back into travel mode and going back out. So I think this was like, we're kind of getting back to society, hopefully, you know. So at this point now, you're going through all these battles. You're dealing with whatever shit gets thrown at you and you're dodging it, fighting it, punching it. What gives you the idea in your right mind now to go open up a third restaurant. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Very like, simple. Like, why go to this? When thing? I was going out there during COVID-19 <laughs> and I saw every place packed, they said, there's a there's a demographic for this. And no, I'll be honest with you. So it wasn't, the attention was never to open up a third restaurant because I did have too much on my plate already. <laughs> yeah, that's how I always did that. That's yes. how I ended up with like, God knows how many businesses. So was, I was never intending to. So start I had, one. like I said, I had that successful summer when I was doing throwing little DJs and parties on Dim Mars. I said, you know what? I have this concept because I did it Miami esque. So I had yeah. this concept to do a Nino's Beach kind of uh, concept uh, pop up whatsoever. So I said, I want to find a location in the Hamptons or in Montauk, yeah, and I want to run this pop up, and I want to kind of do this like fun. European Everybody slash standing up, yeah, dancing. little little tropical, little European kind of fusion thing, revolving around the Italian food, something that's kind of not really been done before. But I kind of saw that I, could, I was able to create the environment on a small street corner in Queens, and I thought if I could do a pop up in the right location, we could do something really really fun. So the the the, exactly. the pain of COVID, let's call it the pain of COVID, the hurt gave you an idea Absolutely. to basically create and a pop-up restaurant that would be more flexible during times of economic crisis basically but let's talk about that so i was looking specifically for places with outdoor capacity right that exactly like you said that would be a little more flexible um for outdoor space and a waterfront space i wanted to do something that really honed in on the european aspects of being on the water so through my network i started you know, people told me like, hey, I have something in Montauk. I have something in the Hamptons. So I was getting a few deals and I only wanted to open up a pop up. And then I got brought through my network through this Port Washington location. And I saw this. It was in a marina with four or five hundred boats. And I walked into the space. The restaurant's huge. It's a 10,000 square foot restaurant. Jesus, this isn't a little pop-up. No, no, no. 220 seater. <laughs> at that point, at that point, I took it over. It was all demoed. Wait, hold My, on, hold on, hold on. You were talking about a pop-up just yeah. a second ago. <laughs> just... Like, you just broke my mind a little bit. Like, we just went to pop-up to 220 seat restaurant. Yeah. So, anyway, go ahead. So, like I said, the intention was... Because I had two places, and I already had enough on my plate. So, the intention wasn't to really open this up. Uh, but I went... I saw the location, 
And I was actually brought to a different location where I said this is not going to work. And then someone in my network said, hey, go down the block. These guys are working on these guys are working on this location uh, and they need they need someone to, to come on board. And I opened it and there was nothing there. It was just wood and a new floor. So the whole space was open, but the whole space is glass and was, some of it was boarded up. And I saw it and I said, this might be it. And then I stood in the space for like 15, 20 minutes. And I said, this is it. This is Nino's Beach. It's in a marina. It's 400 boats. It's going to be, it's huge. I could always build that mega monster restaurant that I wanted to build. And it won't be seasonal. It won't be a, it won't be a pop-up. It, it might not be full year-round, but I think this is going to be what I want to do. Cool. And I developed a game plan, got my designer, partnered up with a few people. And then we kind of, uh, I ran rampant. Well, my desire to went all over New York, had inspiration. I, I think I sent her 700 different images for inspiration, yeah, right? I'm to, that person, too. I'm to, overload. Don't fuck around yeah, with me. To, I know to what to I want. to build a deck. So, like, you know, the it was, like, all water elements. Yeah. So, it was, it was you know, Capri, uh, Capri, Amalfi Coast, Mykonos, Tulum, Miami, like, all, all water places. We sent all this inspiration. And then, actually, this, we had a whole design. And I think I went too wild. So I scrapped the whole design after spending hours and days on I've this design. I've done that, too. I've done that, too, where I, I get overkill. I, yeah, so that kind of part of Long Island where I was opening on the North Shore is kind of conservative. And what I was building might have been one of the sexiest, craziest restaurants in Long Island. But I was scared at one point saying, hey, these guys might come in here. They might say this is too much. You know, I had pink stools. I had... Yeah. I had like a tiger print in the bathroom. It was very Miami Tulum. So then, like in the middle of the project, I just scrap everything, and we start redesigning again. And we brought it back now into that kind of more of a Greek Italian look with the greens and the whites and the beige. And it became it's a beautiful, beautiful space if no one's ever been out there. Um, but yeah, so that was <laughs> during COVID. The end of COVID, I decided to uh, take on this project, and then I become like lead kind of design and consulted gc on it towards the end of it kind of just consumed consumed yeah. my life you know uh and so how did you develop the menus then do you work with your brother on this so yeah, like so how do you yeah so my because like mm-hmm. it's not easy and particularly in new york city with the amount of competition and how the menu people do so much reviews and there's i i mean i hate to say it but there's way too many foodies and bloggers running around um, that don't know what they're talking about. There's some that do, but there's a lot that don't understand in the way they do it. And it's great that they bring you food, but yeah, they're giving you also a lot of exposure sometimes that's, that that can be. They think it's good, but it's not necessarily good. Yeah, absolutely. The whole food and bloggers thing is a whole nother. Yeah, it's everyone's everyone's an influencer nowadays. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah we developed we saying. developed the menu. Um, we're waterfront, so we wanted a. We wanted to have uh, obviously some fish elements to it. We had a whole raw bar with the oysters and um, shrimp cocktail, all that. We, we're known for our pizza, so I put a special, a special oven from Italy that's a rotating deck, and then kind of all water places kind of have that surf and turf steaks and chops going on. Yeah. So we had a whole steaks and chops menu. So we kind of had a vision for what the menu is, and my brother kind of was the spicy one that spicy rigatoni. Yeah, spicy rigatoni is always lobster bucatini. Yeah. So Classics. we we did some riffs on uh, you know. Uh, we did some riffs on, on some classics. We did an agrodolce rib, which is like a balsamic glaze that has yeah. cumin in it. Totally, total fusion. So we wanted to do something fun. Didn't, we didn't push the envelope too much, but it's it's a it's a great menu. Um, Definitely. Pretty refined. 
pretty refined. A lot of technique. And Port Washington's a good area. Like I know it's a good area to be in. So there's that as well. Yeah, and for sure. I mean, we have a built-in advantage. Like during the summer, that we're in a marina that has, like I said, X amount of boats, and then you know you get you get crazy. You get boat traffic, so you'll have a guy that's, hey, I'm coming from Connecticut. I'll be there 45 minutes. Yeah. Their bar is also unbelievable too. So even to just go have a drink and an appetizer with a buddy. Or yeah, something I ran. By. I ran the whole. So the cocktail beverage program. That's what I run. So I did uh, kind of, you know, for the summer when we opened up, we opened up early summer. Uh, I definitely had it uh, focused on uh, fresh fruit, lighter, lighter ABV drinks. Uh, yeah. So, you know, featuring featuring mango, featuring passion fruit, cucumber, you know, trying to make them all visually stunning as long as tasty and easy to drink cocktails on a hot day. Nobody, nobody really wants to pound down like a stiff Manhattan when it's 90 degrees and yeah, you're on no the water. Kidding. Yeah. So we, I try to develop the menu around those uh, all those items and so let's go back for a second because we you started off with pizza right uh, what was the original ninos the original ninos with sandwiches wraps pizzas pastas like i said yeah. a huge menu and then we my brother took it over little small sandwiches some wraps and a lot of fresh pastas and pizzas yeah okay so you've stuck to that the italian heritage for the most part yeah. even though your brother's french trained he just takes that classical french training and brings in the italian food it sounds mm-hmm. like based on the the cumin and the ribs and stuff like that we're starting to fusion things yeah, a, a little, little fusion, bit which sure. is french way of doing things is embracing everything utilizing whole animals stuff like that so uh, very like sauce driven and important in the sauce heavy or light which Definitely. people always think French is heavy but France is a pretty big country and so there's all different types of things and interestingly it does border Italy which there's a lot of influences there particularly on the cuisine even though southern cuisine is different than northern cuisine it kind of just made its way through Italy just so everyone's aware and it has a huge impact on the food for sure um Let's talk about this because I've taken a lot of your time and I definitely am going to have you back on. Hopefully with your brother, we can either do it over the phone or I'll come back out maybe and do it in one of your stores um, or in one of your restaurants um, over the next couple weeks. But I want to ask this question as we wrap things up, okay? Because I think that we're starting to establish on the podcast and I've started to establish that it takes parenting, it takes an American dream or a similar instillment by parents to truly live the American and have the gusto and the purpose to get to where we are. So as a human, like what are the core values that you think that you have that that have kept you going and made you the successful person that you are? And I mean successful in that, and I'm going to use this definition, it's joy, it's the way you carry yourself, and it's... um, Um, I'll think about the other word, but go ahead and answer first. Yeah, I mean, for sure, there's some core values I think that everyone needs. I think, like, obviously, the first one is ingraining that hard work, right? Yeah. That hard work and that and that and that hustle, yeah. right? That was ingrained for me at a at an early age. You know, save your money, work hard. Save your money, work hard. Save your money, work hard. That was always constantly, constantly a reminder. So I think hard work is always uh, the backbone for everyone. That's a uh, an, uh, an entrepreneur and I think the other one that's that's key is is loyalty right the one that gets like understated agreed but, but you want to really stick to the people that did right by you you kind of want to grow with those people and take care of those people I've seen way too many times with way too many people 
people making money together and then who's suing this guy and who's trying to cut this guy's out of the, and, and, and to me it never made sense right it's like why would you want to why would you want to even if you're losing a little bit of money why would you want to break a friendship or something like that i so, agree so to me like loyalty and hard work are like the two values that i always from my friendships to my work those are like the two things that i always always stick by me and like you know like if and that loyalty you could lose it quick on my end too if yeah. you do something wrong it's done but those are uh you know i think that's that that's built in my fabric you know obviously there's many more cliches we could go to but i think those two for me are the most important ones and i think as an italian or any well actually let me go back as any kid that's grown up with entrepreneurial parents they teach you about trusting someone and they teach you about like people can take advantage of you obviously i think it becomes a big part of your education and i think that that's part of what we're talking about here also is that loyalty is not just someone sticking around to get a paycheck it's actually investing in own and being an, an owner as like you are and it's caring about your business and and it's more than just you taking care of them also there's um it's i don't even know how to describe it but you're obviously your dream is supporting their dream and their family's dream but there's also this weird thing that happens when you have loyalty um and you know people joke around about the italian mafia but it's a very serious thing in families in, in italian families or families like italians or greeks or whatever or even jesse's family we just talked about mm-hmm. that loyalty is there because consistency and showing up all the time is how that loyalty is built. Absolutely. So just to suddenly not show up or suddenly break that loyalty, yep. it doesn't make any sense. And it, it goes against the character of the human. And I think one of the things I really like that you said is that so much is based off of us being able to work hard and stay consistent in our life. It's not necessarily smart. It's just the willingness to keep going and not get tangled in everyone else's mess or everyone else's fears yep. for lack of a better term so i said that was the last question but i have one more for you actually because sure. you just did something is how do you get oh like how do you get over your own fears because i just there like when i asked the question i could tell you were contemplating something and it's it i can tell when someone's getting over a mental block so how do you get over your own fears because you said the conscious thing and i could tell we just went through <laughs> a weird thing right there so what was uh how do you get over your own fear all right good good question um i say you have to face it head on right yeah and you kind of you kind of approach it and i don't f- like i think fear comes from failing right everyone's scared to fail and i don't think there's anything wrong with failing there you right? go. So I think from failing becomes knowledge, right? Um, another aspect, like, you know, going off side restaurant, you know, I had some investments go awry. Lost lost more money than I wanted to this yeah. this uh, this year. But, you know, I learned. I learned some lessons from them because I always feel like, you know, if you work hard enough, the money will be there. So whatever failures you have that they might set you back, no matter how big or small they are, if you're constantly putting that hard work, constantly being focused, you'll make it up and you'll just be better because you're going to learn in life once you stop learning you die yeah and i think that's 
we're in 100 percent agreement and i think that's that's it that's if you're not growing you're dying exactly like there's no a, there's and no especially in this industry like, yeah because it's always evolving so where can they find all of your restaurants on social media where can they find you on social media and where do the addresses of each restaurant in case they want to find them so okay so um we'll start with uh we'll start with uh nino's beach is at nino's beach on the instagram uh, at Nino's AQ for the AQ location in Astoria, Queens. And the other one is at Nino's 46 NYC. Um, the story location is 3501 Dittmars. It's right on 35th and Dittmars. City location is 39 West 46th Street, a block away from the Jewelry District. And uh, Port Washington is 43 Orchard Beach Boulevard in Port Washington and Safe Harbor Marina. Wow, you remembered all those addresses. Yeah. I thought I was the only one who <laughs> stored things like that in my head, like useless knowledge of yeah, all the addresses yeah. and phone numbers. And some horrible and cheesy movie quotes. <laughs> yes, yes, I do waste knowledge on stuff like that, too. I can't remember a song name or who sang a song to save my life. I know all the words of the songs, but I think I do anyway. Yeah. But I make them up, apparently. Like, I hear them wrong all the I time. I do the same. And so um, one of the things I really like and I appreciate you coming out here is you're a real dude. Okay, so I'm going to leave the audience with this. One of the things I liked about this particular interview was the authenticity that comes out of you as a human. And it comes from the hard knocks of what you've been through that you're, you don't worry about it anymore. And you don't worry about what I'm going to think or anyone thinks because you have the confidence to know you can get through anything because you've already done it. And you also know that your families went through how much to give you that opportunity. Oh, yeah, 100%. And so while there's confidence and success and ego it comes from a place of experience exposure and education and so i just want to anchor that to the audience that it's very important that we have confidence and we have an ego but it's in the right place and it's anchored properly and it means that we can get through things and deal with problems that most people weren't willing to get through and it does mean sometimes in, as an entrepreneur we're the rebels and we have to push the envelope on things to get society to move along where the non-business folks are running things that are detrimental to society and when i talk about entrepreneurs being warriors mike is an example of this because no matter what new york city was trying to shut everything down one thousand percent and so the only way to fight it was through discipline, staying true to the humans in your community and doing the right thing for them. And there was a group of people in, in New York that did this, but it's an example of who you are and why your business is still around. Thank you. So go ahead. I think that's it for me right now. <laughs> yeah, cool. And again, you can find us on Spotify or anywhere else you grow yourself through podcasts. Please share this. Thank you, Jesse, for hosting this and Utopia Bagels. Uh, Jesse's a rising star, guys. He's something you want to pay attention to, so you want to follow him. The Bagel Master. Yeah, the Bagel Master. I love it. And uh, again, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. We're out.